Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Andy J Podcast. Podcast. Hey, welcome to the latest Andy J podcast. Very special show for you this week. So I hope you're ready for some laughs, some giggles, and a just really remarkable story of a man who does incredible things and has had the most astonishing opportunities open up because of his creativity and quick thinking and the way he has encouraged and helped and nurtured others. We are giving over the whole show to just one guest like we do from time to time. This week it is the brilliant Danny Wallace, broadcaster, author, DJ, comedian, producer and just a man who, well... He's a bit of a Pied Piper. He comes up with ideas and leads people with him on his miraculous journeys. And Danny is great, great fun and really compelling company. Uh, Danny and I have a hazy memory of, of meeting each other many moons ago, although neither of us can actually remember it. It's just, like I say, a hazy memory from our youth, youth, youth. And uh, so unfortunately, really, this was the first time properly we had chatted. And I've got to tell you, I thought Danny was incredible company, really, really good value, fascinating, insightful. And uh, yeah, I thought he was really, really top. Before we jump into the conversation with Danny, I just wanted to give out a quick uh, thank you to those of you that have reached out since listening to last week's episode with Terry White. Now, obviously, Terry shared her incredible story in the most remarkable way, and it has affected a lot of you. And a lot of you have also picked up on how much it affected me, of course. Having that conversation was not easy, but mainly because I was dealing with a lady who had lived the most challenging of lives and hearing it firsthand. It's one thing reading the book. It's another thing actually communicating with that little girl who lived through that experience and I have to say I just think Terry is incredible I said it enough times last week and and she's obviously aware of it her story of survival and the way she's gone on to thrive and achieve and strive and aims to help others so much it's inspiring and those of you that have reached out and also reached out to Terry directly as well thank you thank you very much for your time and for taking the time to listen to that I know we don't usually go quite so deep in the shows and um, I'm very very proud and very pleased that we have done that and I think we might be doing more like that in, in the near future in actual fact there is a moment chatting to Danny today which uh, which gets quite deep and we don't shy away from the big conversations nonetheless this is a much easier listen if you know what I mean and uh, yeah whether you take us in the car with you on your on your commute on your jog walk around the house make a cup of tea whatever I hope you enjoy the next hour or so Danny's great company and you'll find out why right now the Andy J podcast I am very pleased to say that we are doing what we sometimes do on the show we are stopping our usual 
sort of method of having three or four big celebrities and chatting to them. And instead, we've got one massive celebrity for the whole show. This is a man who's dreamt it up and lived it out. He's been there, started the cult, worked around the world. He's been played by Jim Carrey. He started his own country. He's written 17 books. He's changed lives with advice, wit, and frankly, his Pied Piper ways. He can only be one man. That man is Danny Wallace. How are you doing, Danny? I'm very well. Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. But I, I think describing me as a massive celebrity, you know, I think people will be right to call Ofcom uh, for misleading the public there. Um, but the other stuff was true. So thank you. Well, I, I was thinking about this. I mean, obviously, you know what it's like when you're about to chat to someone. You tend to think about them quite a lot and you try and live in their world a little bit. And how do you feel about me calling you the Pied Piper? Because you are very much a think it up and they will follow. Well, I, I, yeah, I, I like to um, I like to create things that people can get involved in, and I've always been interested in in kind of human behaviour. And it's only now that I'm sort of a bit older and I look back at the things that I've done that I realise um, the connections between those things and the fact that I tend to like people who have a couple of things in common. They they like to get involved. Um, they're fundamentally decent people, uh, and they've got a sense of humour. And I think that if you've got people like that um, around you, you're always going to have a good time. And so, yes, I tried to involve people in, as you say, uh, I started my own very friendly cult. Um, I am a cult leader, um, and I pronounced that correctly. Um, I, 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 yes, I started a country, so I was a king. Um, and I do like to create um, kind of little underground social movements or things that we can all have fun with that, um, that teach us a bit about living life. Does it ever, because obviously, Danny, a lot of this is, is it's very playful, it's great fun, it's, it's always in the spirit of kindness and togetherness and fun and en- engagement, but does it ever kind of get to your head a little bit when you kind of, you know, chuck an ad in the paper and boom, the next thing you know, you've got thousands of people doing whatever you want? Well, when you do it kind of um, anonymously or uh, kind of under the radar, you, you're sort of starting, starting again. That's kind of how it was with, with Join Me. I wanted to see whether people would join something without knowing who they were joining or what they were joining or why they were joining, um, or what joining even really meant. And the thing is, I didn't know either. Um, and I think sometimes it's fun to jump into something and discover the kind of the, the lessons of it or the message of it or what it should be as you go. So when all these people joined me, I had no idea kind of what I was doing. I just knew I wanted people to join. And this was pre-Facebook and pre-Twitter. And nowadays, you can just you know click a button and follow someone or you know bec- become a fan of something or sign a petition, lend your support. But back then, you you didn't really do that. Um, So I asked people to send me a passport photo to a P.O. Box address. And I didn't tell them why. I just said, it is a requirement. And that was almost like with like a religion. People had to put their faith in someone not to do the wrong thing and had to put their faith in it and, and just kind of, you know, trust. And this they did. And that meant so much to me that I decided, well, I can't use my powers for evil here. I can't use them for mischief because, you know, part of me uh, would have quite liked to kind of undertake a little bit of mischief on the streets. Just kind of, you know, weird, sort of almost like hidden camera kind of stuff. But I decided instead I will use them for good. So uh, I called them the Karma Army. And I just said, do random acts of kindness for a stranger every Friday. And we'll make every Friday a good Friday. And that's what they did in their thousands, in their droves. And so many great things happened as a result. Do you know, that's been something that I think has been consistent with whatever project you've dreamt up and created. There's always been that feeling of kindness and niceness and happy to it. 
Well, I hope so. Um, I, I'm, I'm an optimist. I've always been an optimist. Um, I think that you know, recent times have tested that. <laughs> um, the last sort of four or five years have maybe taken, taken the edge off of that ever so slightly. But, um, I, I, you know, when I write the books, for example, I write them in the way that I would tell you the story if we were down the pub together. And, you know, when you write something, you're trying to make friends with the reader. And you want the readers to have a good time. And, and yeah, and these stories, they sort of lend themselves to, to kind of having a good time because they are, you know, positive. And you mentioned Yes Man. I mean, you know, what could be more positive than, than just saying yes? Mm. Um, and I'd found that I, I'd been in a time where I, I'd found it easier to say no to stuff and just no to, you know, going out or meeting up with friends. And, you know, I was in that stage that I think we all get to sometimes where even before the person has finished speaking, you're thinking, how do I get out of this? So they go, they could say, you come along and it's going to be the greatest night of your life. And you, already you're going, I can't, I have to stay in, you know, I'm watching The Weakest Link or whatever it is. Which is a very um, valid excuse, to be fair. A very valid excuse. Um, but it was about pausing and going, I'm not going to get out of this. I'm going to say yes to whatever it is because, you know, you're as likely to meet the love of your life at a bad party as you are at a good one, um, which is something that, that many people who since uh, have written to me, they've gone to the bad parties because of Yes Man um, and they've met the person they were supposed to be with. That must be quite surreal because I, I guess even now, you know, decades later, you must still get people going, because of your book or the film version of it, you know, I've done this and it's thanks to you. Is that, is that slightly weird? Yeah, it is. But it's also lovely because, um, I mean, you know, I'm assuming, you know, uh, statistically, some people probably said yes and had a terrible time doing something, but they, they tend not to get in touch with me. It's the ones whose lives have changed somehow because of what they did. Um, it's, it's, I think they would have got there anyway, but maybe the book just gave them permission to try it and to say yes to more things. I, I don't advocate saying yes to everything. Um, I do think we can say yes to more things. And it does get surreal. Not long ago, well, maybe a couple of years ago, actually, a guy um, called Mason um, got in touch with me and he had read the book and he lived in Los Angeles and he decided to travel more and broaden his horizons. And so he was just every weekend when he could finding a cheap flight somewhere, a super cheap flight and just going. And he was having a great time. And I said, look, if you know, if you're ever in London, give me a shout. And he wrote back kind of treating that as a yes moment and said, well, I could be there next Friday night. And he flew to London Brilliant. and we met up. And we, uh, we had a great time and, um, you know, we had a few drinks and I showed him a couple of the sites uh, and then off he went to the next adventure. I think the next day he just flew to Oslo just because he suddenly realized he was in Europe and he, and he could. So, you know, there are people who do these, you know, incredible things, but if you, if you, if you want something really surreal, going back to join me, the cult I started, you know, when I started it, everyone involved through the nature of it was in their sort of twenties or thirties. And then we all kind of grew up. And once a year, there's a big meetup. And, you know, it's been going about 18 years now. So the last couple of meetups that I've gone to, I walk into the pub and there's lots of familiar faces. But over to the right, there are just dozens of children. And they're all <laughs> children born because of Join Me. Um, their parents meeting at one of these things and, and, and getting married or 
And so there's all these, and I don't know how they describe me to these children. You know, this was our cult leader, and yeah. we met because of, you know it's um, so that for me is very surreal. The fact that um, there are lives, there are actual functioning humans um, yeah. that came from it. You should have had some kind of uh, clause that if if any offspring were kind of derivative <laughs> from, from this, they had to yeah. have Danny Wallace in their name somewhere. I mean, then you could have that would have been quite funny, <laughs> a little something. Like yeah, that. you know, absolutely, or perhaps just uh, you know, I, I, I get. Twenty percent of the will of the parents, something like that. That would have been, that would have been uh, forward thinking on my part. There's been, a, there's a couple of uh, little Wallaces out there though, um, but only as a middle name. But, um, but I'll take that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you can come up with something else that changes that. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. The, the the first name scrapping show or something. I don't know. That's, exactly. That's that why you do the ideas and I don't. That's, that's <laughs> not a good idea. Uh, I've got to talk to you. I mean, you've mentioned yes, man, and I've been thinking about this for a while because, of course, you know, it happened if you don't mind me saying, it happened so young in your career. I mean, to get something that was so significant. I mean, you know, what is it? $290 million grossing movie. The book sold in a bazillion different countries in loads of different languages. I mean, that, when you were in your 20s, is pretty mm-hmm. staggering, isn't it? I, yeah, it is. Um, I, you know, uh, I've never really thought about that, really. Um, it, but you're right. It's kind of, I, I, I suppose I started quite young. Um I started writing for, for kind of magazines and um, when I was in my teens and I'd write about video games because I was super into video games. And then I was less into video games, but I was into writing and therefore a lot of the people that I was knocking about with, they were also writers, but they were slightly older than me. And um, so I, I got a good, you know, five years of experience in before I, I, I went off to university. And I went to university because um, I, I had all these ideas and I wanted to know how to make them real. And there was a media course in London. And everyone always, you know, um, knocks media courses. But it was absolutely perfect because it had, like, equipment that I could use. And we were being taught by people who would do jobs like yours or like your producers uh, or documentary makers would come in and teach us how to make documentaries. And we'd be told to question the media sometimes, you know, which I think that kids these days should should absolutely be taught. But I was there so that I could get to grips with the equipment, really, so that I could be learning how to make my ideas real, whether it was a radio idea, um, whether it was maybe a TV idea. Um, it was extraordinarily useful. So when I um, left there, I had all these kind of tools, you know, like abilities that, that I, I, I realized that you can make things real. You can have a chat in the pub and have a great idea, and the next morning you will never, ever do it. Um, but I was in a position where I was like, you know what? You can do these things. I could do that. This is what I'd need to do. And um, and so I, I started and, um, you know, I, I became a producer in comedy and I was making things with other people's ideas or I was giving ideas to other people. Um, and then I thought, you know, uh, I don't really want to be in an office. Um, I, want to, I want to have adventures and um, I want to see what you what you can do you know if you decide to live your life a certain way if you decide to take take a certain risk and so i was doing stuff reasonably early but but absolutely you know yes man happened um in my 20s and then yeah the the you know the, the film and all the interest um afterwards it was yeah it's an ex- I'm, I'm very lucky um uh, you know it's an interesting one because there's that old phrase that you know you get what you're ready for 
You know what I mean? I might have just made that phrase up, but you know the. Gist <laughs> yeah, I've never heard it, but I like it. It's a phrase a bit like that, but you know sometimes yeah, there's that old phrase you've never yeah, heard. There's an old phrase that I've just created, but so, <laughs> but sometimes you know, and, and it does ring true in a sense. You know, you, I, I've often thought to myself, I had a conversation with uh, a guest a few weeks ago that I simply wouldn't have been emotionally capable of doing before being a dad, mm. for example. You mm. know, and, and yeah. I sort of think to myself in my twenties, could I have could I have been in Danny's shoes? You know, with a massive movie star playing me and all the rest of it? The answer is probably not, because I was a bit of a hedonistic random so-and-so that would have, <laughs> would have gone to my head. I don't know how you stayed grounded and how you managed to just sort of go, all right, cool, I'm not going to let this get to me. This is amazing, but there's other things to do. Well, I've always, um, I've always felt like you should be grateful for the thing that's happening and, and not expect the next thing. And you have to work for the next thing. And... Um, and I think that that kind of helps. And also, you know, when you work for yourself, as you know, you, you have to you have to keep working. And um, yeah, you can't you can't become. I mean, I've you know, I've got friends, uh, people that I've known in the in in, in the past who you know um, I'd knock around with, and, and then they would get um, some success, and I would watch them turn into different people. And um, and that was always something I found quite troubling. Um, and um, kind of ungrateful if you know what i mean yeah. so you know you, you have to be careful not to not to never to let anything go to your head and also you've got to realize that you know whatever's happening in the moment could stop um you know very easily tomorrow which is why i've always tried to do lots of different things um and i always think of my career if you can call it that as, as like an office chair and you know I'll, I'll sit at this desk for a for a bit and i'll, I'll do that as well as i can um, but then if that stops, well, I'll swivel, uh, over here and try this direction for a bit. And so, you know, you end up just swiveling around and doing lots and lots of different things, but that's because I want to try everything. And, um, if there's something I haven't done, um, rather than thinking, well, I'm not allowed to do that. Um, I think, I wonder if I could do that and I give it a go. And the thing that links them all is I find them fun, um, fun or exciting. And I think that my philosophy, you know, in, in the early days was always, um, do what's fun, go where the fun is, but make sure you do the fun well so that you then get asked to have more fun. And also to remember that you're not in competition with anybody except for yourself. Right. So you shouldn't feel that pressure or that kind of anxiety that we all do. You know, there, I think there was a certain sense of relief when lockdown happened for a lot of people because you realized what a rat race things can be. And it was like everyone had to just take a breather um, well, not everybody, you know, not not um, not our frontline staff, and certainly not delivery drivers or people in supermarkets. But people with silly jobs like me were told, you know, take a breather, um, reconsider, slow down, um, and reassess. And and that's what reminded me of that. You know, it's kind of yeah, you're not in competition with anyone except for yourself. Just try and just try and outdo yourself. That's all. Yeah, this is that's really wise. You know, I, I was wondering how kind of sage-like you'd be because I've, I've obviously read lots and lots of your books and read the articles in shortlist frequently and all the rest of it. And I've always thought, this is a guy who's kind of got a very old head on his shoulders. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it's, it's so telling to hear you say that you've watched people you've known get successful. You and I have been in the industry a similar amount of time and we've, yeah. we've sort of moved in similar circles. In fact, I think, yeah. I think we had a random night together in the, in the arts on Frith Street, but I have oh, right. the most hazy memory of it that I can't tell you any more than that. <laughs> I, have, I have no memories of that weird little underground bar that aren't hazy. <laughs> um, but I, it's one of the few places that I've been banned from. Oh, brilliant. Um, 
I, I think I, I was more or less banned from a hot dog place, um, but I was also um, uh, had my membership rescinded um, by the arts club. And this isn't some fancy members club. This was two pounds a year, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, because uh, the DJ who looked like something out of Spinal Tap. DJ Rooney. Um, yeah. Was that the guy? DJ Rooney. Lo- I remember him. He used to drink hooch. <laughs> well, that says a lot. Well, he um, <laughs> he was uh, spinning his steels of we- wheels of steel or whatever you say, and there were some people trying to get in, and they were waiting out in the cold. And so I pointed at them and, and looked at him and said, shall I let them in? And he nodded at me, and so I opened the door and let these poor people in from the rain. And then he stormed over to me and told me I was banned and had to get out. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a controversial guy. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm streetwise. You're a maverick. I mean, that's... I'm, a tr- I'm trouble. That's crazy. I wish I could remember our night. I've been trying to summon up some memories of it. I, I have none, I'm afraid. But that, that's... It would have been sticky, floor, sticky floors and um, an underground, slightly claustrophobic uh, atmosphere. Yes, indeed. But I guess what I was trying to... The point I was trying to make is we have moved in similar circles. And I, yeah. like you, have watched people get successful. People that I've known from the start of their careers and mm-hmm. watch them get successful and like you've asserted I've watched them change and it's been a, a huge disappointment because you kind of go oh darn I remember you this this is a sort of tally really Rob Brydon mm-hmm. at the British Comedy Awards he'd won an award mm-hmm. and his acceptance speech was one of my favorite things in the world ever because he simply stood up on the stage and he went I just like to say thank you to all the new friends I've just made and yeah. was, <laughs> yeah he nailed it in one you know that's it's that fickle thing isn't it yeah, absolutely, and um, and I think yeah, Rob Brydon has always been someone who who would give advice to to people about how to kind of be because I think success came quite late to him, so he 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 was able to kind of uh, see the the kind of the nonsense of it um, and and appreciate it um, when it happens to people you know a bit younger. It's not how they treat you as a as a as a friend or a, or a peer or whatever. It's how you watch them uh, treat. Uh, people who aren't in that industry that you find excruciatingly embarrassing. Um, Because you should always be grateful if someone comes up to you uh, because of something you've done that they like, whatever it is, um, you know, they've, you've shared something together. Um, If someone likes one of my books and comes up and talks to me or they say, I've read your book, I say, which one? I already feel like I know them a bit because Mm -hmm. like I say, it's like sitting in the pub with them. And I know that I've told them that story and they know these things about me and we've kind of been on that journey together. And so you you owe it to to them to be uh, nice, welcoming thankful even um not not uh, dismissive um which uh, which happens way too often you're a very nice man daddy it's lovely chatting to you just sort of <laughs> going, this is a really nice chat a nice guy well don't don't forget i was banned from that place well, i can't be yeah. you know poor dj um, yeah, really yeah, his uh, poor guy his yeah. huge loving ways i mean it's it just feels <laughs> harsh let's go back to the start daddy if that's all right because you you've had an interesting beginning you know a, a, not an atypical one in the sense that firstly only child and i'll yeah. say that because i was thinking how many only children do i know about three you know not this it's not a particularly common thing these days at least in the uk mm. but secondly yeah. you, you moved around a fair bit scotland berlin bath you know you had to restart i guess in in three different places yeah yeah and loughborough maybe four and then you know um it's uh yeah it, it never felt strange to me being an only child and i, and I always wondered why um we have such a bad reputation. People think that we are spoiled or selfish. And it, it never really made sense to me because, you know, I, probably because of the, I, I don't know why, but two of my best friends are only children. And like you say, most people tend to have brothers and sisters. and um, But they are just lovely. 
And um, and I think what being an only child taught me, and I think taught them, was a, a sense of how to be, um, a sense of how to make friends, um, a sense of feeling fortunate to be around others. Because like you say, I would move around a lot and I'd have to walk into so many rooms um, as the only kid there or the only kid with no one else to kind of play with mm. and make friends fast. And on holiday, I'd have to, you know, go off and find other kids and just be like, I'm off to make a friend and, you know, we'll, we'll do my best. And, um, yeah, that's how I kind of grew up. And I think that that probably helped with, for example, when I was doing, you know, there was a period where I was doing a lot of kind of TV presenting. And, and that would really help because you had to become someone else, a more confident version of, of yourself and one that could put people at ease. Um, you didn't want to annoy people particularly because, you know, you got one shot usually <laughs> with, with a lot of people. Um, so you have a sort of an outside sense of yourself. Um, and I've got three kids now. My wife is one of five. Um, so she grew up with yeah four brothers uh, in a noisy house full of conflict and <laughs> jealousy, I imagine. And so we've, we've, you know, gone halfway with three. And I'm sort of working out how that works because I've got no experience of it. And um, I'm seeing how they are with each other and, and, and how great it is also to have someone that you hopefully will be able to rely on for the rest of your life. You know, um, I'm certainly feeling the being an only child now because um, uh, just a, uh, six weeks or so ago, my, my dad died. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. And um, that's, that's been, it's difficult when you've got no one to really split the grief with. Right. And you can't really split it in the same way with your mum because now you have to look after her as well a bit, and and it's a different type of a different type of grief. And you know she'd been they'd been together every day for fifty seven years, and so you then have a job to kind of step in and and not having a brother or a sister is uh, you know a, I guess it's a slight disadvantage and also makes you uh, acutely aware of your own mortality. So um, yeah, happy Saturday, everyone. Yeah. Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm really sorry, Danny. It's. Uh, That's okay. I don't. I, you know, I don't want to open up difficult conversations for you if you if you don't want to have them. But but you know, losing someone as significant as your father is is something that reframes everything, isn't it? It absolutely. It absolutely does. And um, and it makes you think about the questions you didn't ask. I I think I'd been preparing for it for a long time uh, in in some ways because I suddenly remembered a tape I made a recording. Um, where I sat, I was sitting around, this is about more than 10 years ago, but I was sitting around with my wife and my parents, you know, we were eating um, at their house dinner and I got my tape recorder out or my, you know, digital recorder. And I just started to ask them questions about the day they met and their life together before me. And um, I was worried I'd lost this recording, but um, a night or two after, you know, he went, I found it. And, um, and it's such a precious thing. Yeah. And I think that we can all record stuff on our phones. And if you are sitting there with your mum or your dad, um, at some point and the, and it feels right, just record them, ask them, interview them, you know, interview them properly, just about things you don't know. Mm. Um, what their bedroom was like when they were growing up. My dad grew up very, very poor. And I didn't realize until I started talking to my auntie, just kind of how poor. And, um, I wanted to know about his room. Um, in Carlisle in the 40s. And of course, it turned out he didn't have a room. And I didn't know that. And I wish I'd talked to him about that. But 
you get into the everyday, don't you? And you, you get into talking about today and what's happened yesterday and what's happening tomorrow. So, um, yeah, I would say if anyone's listening and, you know, you are, you know, at that stage where you're thinking, you're realizing that these things, these life-changing events can happen, as we all do, as it hits us, you know, slap, slap bang in the face sometimes. Um, yeah, do that. And, um, and that's what I did. And I haven't been able to listen to it, but I know I've got it. And that's enough. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, that's amazing advice. And also, you know, I, w- I would sort of say, just as someone that's lost someone very, very close to me as well, one of the strangest mm. things about about death is that for some reason, and maybe it's just me, you you sort of forget what they sound like, if that makes mm. sense. You, you you remember how they look, you remember how they feel and smell and whatever else, but, but the sound of their voice is never quite as clear. And actually, I understand why you haven't listened to that back yet. It took me a long, long time. I had a recording of my friend and and I couldn't listen to it for a long time. Yeah. And then when I did, it was very difficult, actually. Very difficult indeed, because it, it, it brings back yeah. another sense that you don't, you know, you, you, you have you have a, a visual memory and you have photographs everywhere, I'm sure. But that the sound of their voice is, it takes you back to a different memory. And it's, it's quite difficult, actually. Yeah, because it's a moment and it might be something insignificant that they're saying, but it's how they say it and the cadence and the lilt of their accent if they have one. Um, and it's, uh, it's a moment. And um, those, are, those are difficult. I mean, photos are moments, but there's a distance there. And um, when you hear the voice, when you, are, you could easily be talking to them, I think that, that is, that's a different level. And um, yeah, something, uh, something, something, well, pretty difficult. Yeah, I, I read somewhere actually that it's at some stage soon, the sort of with AI and virtual technology and whatnot, you'll almost be able to live into a memory. You know what I mean? With one of these devices, yeah. almost sort of like minority report type stuff. And you sort of think, God, yeah, I mean, that would be amazing and also heartbreaking, you know? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It might be, it might be too much for our, for our brains right now. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that, you know, the arm. Um, and you know there are some weird there are some weird things that are out there right now. There's an app where you can put a picture of um, almost anyone from history or even your own history uh, in there, and it kind of animates them in that sort of deepfake way. Yeah. And it's spooky. And um, <laughs> it's funny. I wasn't sure if my mum was sort of ready for it, but there was an old photo of, of, of my dad when he was in his twenties, and I thought let's 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 give that a go because it'll be the the man she met and. Um, and we both fell about laughing because it was absolutely rubbish, and it and it and it made it. He did the weirdest smile you've ever seen in your life, and he would have he would have laughed uh, with us, and I'm sure he was somewhere. Good, yeah, they can be very strange. I I've I've discovered that I make an incredibly realistic Hulk, so uh, <laughs> very good. It's, it's very useful to know, um, and presumably, sorry, we we won't dwell on your dad, but but obviously, you know. You're a father to three children. I'm, I'm sure yeah. that you have found that the lessons he taught you as a dad are ringing true in your own life every every minute of every day with your kids, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, he uh, was always very patient, um, fair, kind, and funny. And um, I try and instill as much of that in my kids as I can. Um, when they come back from school, I don't say, what did you learn today? Um, I say, what made you laugh today? And um, by, by asking that question, I get an answer that that no other parent at the school is getting yeah. because the, all the answers will be different about laughing. Um, whereas if you say, what did you learn? 
well, pretty much everyone is going to say about Egyptian pots or whatever. But but asking about uh, laughing, um, it opens up a perspective that you don't normally get because it, it's like being invited into the playground. You know, one kid said this and this guy did that and, and they laugh at the kind of the memory of it and you start to see what they find funny, um, who they hang out with, um, and you're pleased that their day involves, you know, joy rather than just Egyptian pots. Yes, I'm the same as you, actually. I, I never ask about the, the learning. I'm always like, who did you play with today? What was the game? Yeah. What were you doing at lunchtime? You know, that kind of stuff. Because it's just, that's the side of your, your, your children you want to know about, isn't it? I mean, well, I say some people might be more, more interested in the academic, but for me, I'm like, not bothered in the slightest. Do what you want. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's that thing. It's, you know, have fun, um, you know, get involved and be nice. Those are the, those are the sort of the, the six words that, that, you know, mean a lot to me, whether it's, um, whether it's in work or whether it's in play. Um, yeah, be nice, get involved and have fun. I've got that written down, Danny. That was the first thing I wrote down. I, I always write notes about, I never write questions or any sort of talking points, but I always write notes <laughs> about people. And for some reason that is the exact, have you quoted that a bit? Cause I've got that exactly down in my, in my, have you? Uh, yeah. I wrote it for, um, I, I, I summed up, a, I had to give a, a speech to some students once. And um, and that's what I distilled everything down to, those six words. So, yeah, so you may have seen that. It's literally, I've got your name at the top of my notebook. I've got multi-award <laughs> winning, of course, and I've written, of course. And then it says, be nice, get involved, have fun. Yeah, that's kind of my mantra. I love it. What a, Good. What a, what a lovely way to live your life. Uh, I mean, Danny, <laughs> obviously, fatherhood, you've been a dad, what, for 11 years now? Is that right? You're yeah, 11. 11 years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Has that changed your outlook on work and because you you are so driven that's one thing that's very apparent you're you, there's no sort of resting on your laurels you're always doing 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 what has being a dad taught you and how's it changed things for you um that you've got to keep doing uh, because you've suddenly got loads more shoes to buy yes um and um on and you're working on uh, much less sleep um with no spare time um so so you have to kind of make those those moments count but it also um it also teaches you that you don't want to say that you've you've sort of wasted Saturday mornings, for example, because I don't think you know having a lion or watching a film. I don't think that is wasting your time. I think that's that's it's what you need in the moment. But um, but when it's gone, you, you realise it's gone and it's not coming back for a long time. That kind of that sense of I'll just be able to do whatever I want. But you're part of a gang. You're part of a team, and you have kind of created this team out of thin air, and the team gets more fun every day. And um, and now that they've they're, they're sort of um, sparring back and forth with, they've got great comic timing, and um, they love each other, but they annoy each other, but they love each other, and it's great to watch this this miniature A team kind of come together and we all get in our A-team van, which I wish was true, but it's not. It's just a family wagon. <laughs> yeah, and we go off and we have little adventures, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but we go off and we have little adventures. And, um, you know, I was lucky enough to, we were moving out of the city and we knew we wanted to move to the countryside so that they could run around and have fresh air and see trees and, you know, not always see just men spitting everywhere. <laughs> and, um, and we decided that before we moved to the countryside, um, you know, sometimes I do some work out in uh, America and because all I need is my laptop really to do what I do, we can kind of work anywhere. And so we went out to LA for a year 
And I wanted the kids to, to have a sunny year, a bit like when my dad um, we sold the car and bought an old camper van. And um, then we packed the camper van and we got in it and we drove for days um, to go to Berlin just as the wall was falling because my dad was a big expert in, on, on East Germany and you know East German literature and stuff. And so we wanted to see what would happen when East and West became one. And so out we went, and it was an incredible year for me. And I went to this American school, I hung out with you know big kids, and ate currywurst every day. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice for the kids to have something similar? And so we went to LA, and um, and it was extraordinary because they were able to meet people that they would never normally meet, and see things that they would never normally see, and understand that there was a big uh, a big world out there. And um, and it was great. It was it was. Um, I mean, apart from the obvious, there was some, there was, you know, there's some downsides to living there. Um, you know, uh, out here we, you know, in, in Britain, you know, there might be a snow warning, um, but out there they literally have to, uh, you know, do their gun control training, you know, hiding under tables in case there's an active shooter. And these kids are, you know, seven and terrified. Um, but apart from that, it was cool. And it was in a quite a, not a show busy area that we lived, but the school had some showbiz dads. And there was one kid who um, was a bit mean to my son one day. And I said to another dad, I went, I'm going to have to have a word with his dad. And the guy went, oh, I wouldn't do that. And I said, well, is he quite big, is he? And he said, no, his dad is Pharrell Williams. <laughs> so, uh, so I was like, yeah, I reckon I'll leave it. It's it's fine. Oh but, no! Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was the kind of that was the kind of area it was, and we had a great year. But then coming back to Britain was like, ah, oh, it was it was just it was it was wonderful. Um, and realizing we've had our break, and now you know let's um, let's let's live real life again. That's really nice to hear because, of course, for a lot of people, LA, you know, the the magic of LA kind of represents this sort of otherworldy made it it's the greatest place in the world thing but to hear you kind of go yeah it was nice but it's better being home that's cool well it, it is because la is um people go there on holiday sometimes and i often wonder why because it's not really a holiday town it's it's a mining town and um everything revolves around the mine which is which is you know show business and there are there are either people there who've you know they've got the tools and they're working in the mine or there are people standing outside the mine trying to get in. And so it's, a, it's just a weird, um, it's just a, it's a very odd place. It's a great place to work. Um, it's not, it's not what I would consider, you know, um, uh, holiday material. Um, everything's so far. <laughs> I remember trying to get, you become so used to how far away everything is. Right. And I had to go and get a toy and I went to like the toy shop, I went to Toys R Us and I tried to get the toy and they said, Oh, it's not in this toy shop, but there is one somewhere else. And I thought nothing of just getting in the car and driving for like 14 miles um, to get the thing. And it, that's just normal. Everything yeah. takes ages. Um, whereas over here, if I went to the shop and, you know, I wanted to get some milk and they said, oh, I'm afraid we don't have milk, but you can get some milk at Heathrow. Um, I would be, you know, in America, you just go, okay, thank you. And you get in the car and you just drive to Heathrow to buy, to buy the milk. So you get so used to these vast distances um, that you just don't uh, over here. And it's a much more convenient place to live. Yes, yes, indeed. Well, you sort of mentioned that, you know, everyone's mining there or trying to mine or whatever. And you, and you have, of course, been very successful in Hollywood yourself. And you've had a couple of 
almost happened. You know, you've had yeah. books options, you've had pilots, you've been, you know, been in sort of several different things that have nearly happened. Is that something that sort of is, is that still an itch that you need to scratch? Are you sort of determined and, and sort of focused on, you know, breaking Hollywood again? Or are you thinking, ah, oh, I'm in my groove, I'm cool? I think it's, um, I've never had that real itch. Um, it's like if I have an idea and I get excited about the idea, um, that's what it's about. And then it becomes, right, what is this idea? Is this a, is this a book? Is, if it is a book, is it a novel? Is it a, you know, is it a kid's book? Is it nonfiction? Or is it a script? And if it's a script, is it a script over here? Or is it a script maybe for, you know, America? And yeah, and I've written a, a you know a bunch of scripts, and as you say, there was some some nearlies. There was a um, you know a, a big thing a couple of years ago that nearly happened, and then sort of disintegrated. But that's what happens to almost everything. And there was a sitcom pilot that um, that you know wasn't supposed to happen. I, I went, I was over there for something else, and I went to say hello to my um, book agent over there, and he said, "Well, you know, what's next?" and um, and I had never said this out loud before, but I said, um, I've got, you know, I write these columns and I was thinking about putting them in a book called, and again, first time I've ever said it, Awkward Situations for Men. And his eyes lit up and he just went, that's a great title. Yeah. And before I knew it, within about 10 minutes, there were all sorts of people I'd never laid eyes on before, all in suits, all saying, we're very excited about this idea. <laughs> and, and there wasn't an idea. There was a title. And so then I went home and, and it wasn't even a book. And I had to say to my publishers, is it all right if I do a book called Awkward Situations for Men? Because I think they want to make something out of it. And we did that. And every meeting went as well as it could have gone. Um, for, for a moment, I was thinking Hollywood's easy because every, every meeting ended with someone going, great, okay, um, let's bring this guy in. And before I knew it, I was in front of the head of um, ABC and he said, and, and who, who would star in this? And I said, I don't know. You know, that's up to you. And uh, he said, I think you should. And I said, okay. <laughs> and so suddenly I was going to be starring in a, in a sitcom that should not have existed because it wasn't you know, anything to start with. And a couple of months later, we moved out and we started filming on a, on a big Warner Brothers lot with extras. And there was all this traffic. I was like, they're going to have to clear this. And they, uh, some guy said to me, this, this is for the scene. This is for the traffic jam scene. Oh, wow. And, um, <laughs> you know, they can click their fingers and make anything happen. Um, and, um, and when it, it got down to like the final three or something for that year. And I, I didn't know how I would feel either, either way. I knew it would be great if it went ahead. That'd be exciting. But would I be devastated if it didn't? And I got the call from the, the head of, uh, the head of the whole studio and he basically told me they wanted to reshoot it, but with an audience and make it more like a sort of like a Charlie Sheen style thing. Oh, okay. And for me, that was weird because it was, it was, it wasn't over. And yet it felt like it was over. And I knew it was kind of dead in the water at that point. And there was a couple of days where I was quite sad about it because there's so much work. But then I had to look at it again from a different angle. And I, I, t I, and I, I just thought, do you know what? It was so, it was so lucky to even get to that stage with that kind of, you know, backstory. And so few things are made into a pilot. And I thought, I've made a pilot that one day I will show my kids and they'll be like, why, who are all these American people? Why are they all calling you Danny? Yeah. It was all the traffic. Who's this woman? She's not your wife. Um, and, uh, 
and so I, I just thought, you know, I did a thing there. So what's next? And then I cracked on with the next thing. Yes. Um, and that's what you have to do. And um, it's true. It's true of sort of anyone in in self employment. Really, it's like, you know, some things will happen. Some won't. Some you won't mind. Some you will. But you have to do the next thing. So is that part of the secret? Have lots of things juggling at the same time, always. Yeah, it has been for me um, because I like to be busy, and I feel very guilty if I'm not busy. I feel it's like being a Catholic um, with Catholic guilt constantly there. Except I'm not uh, Catholic. Um, the guilt is entirely. It's like I, I need to be doing something, um, and that probably goes back to what you were saying about in my twenties. I felt exactly the same as I do now. Um, I, I need to be doing something. Um, it's just I've got less time now, so uh, there's there's less going down the pub. As it was for us all. You mean because of your because you're a father because of your family or less time because yeah you're getting no I think <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a bit of that. You probably do feel a bit more tired. But I think it's it's more that your priorities shift a little bit, um, and you you know you know who's going to put the pastor on if you don't? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I, I totally know what you mean. I we've had our third son uh, literally twelve days ago, so yeah, I know. Oh, congrats! <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Uh, you no. just reset the clock, there, haven't you? For another sort of that's a, it's <laughs> like you were you were doing well, uh, and then you were just getting a little bit back, and now you've reset to you know your freedom is back to in eighteen years. Yes. Yes, we had this exact conversation just a couple of days ago. It was like, it's, okay, <laughs> the house will be yeah. quiet maybe in 18 years, yeah. maybe, perhaps. Exactly. Everyone's suddenly sleeping through the night. It's like, oh, no. God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah. The, you sort of forget how knackered you get, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right there, right now, right in that tired whirlwind at the moment. It's, I'm loving it, but I'm also like, oh, I hope Jen doesn't think I'm exhausted because I'm exhausted. But yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's brilliant, though. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I completely <laughs> lost my track of China. So, so the sitcom that, that didn't happen that might happen in front of the audience, I mean, are they thinking, because you had a Charlie Sheen experience, is there a sort of connection there? Are they kind of thinking <laughs> you, could, you could have the new two and a half men on your hands and, and you'll be the manly men, 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 or however the theme tune goes? Well, that was, that was always the hope. The, the reason, I mean, they spend so much money on pilots um, out in America because um, they can. Because if they have one hit, so for example, the, the guy that called me, um, he, he, you know, he was in charge of uh, Two and a Half Men um, and all of those, and the Big Bang Theory and, and, and all of those. Because if you have one of those, then one of those pays for all of the others, yeah. um, pays for the pilots, pays for um, the, the ones that don't make it, pays for the ones that they put out um, but go nowhere. Um, and they just write that money off because there's so much of it coming in. I mean, I remember when I was out there and we were about to shoot, someone said to me, um, oh, Kelsey Grammer, you know, Frazier, he's, um, he's, he's shooting something at the minute. And, um, you know, do you want to have lunch with him? And I was like, well, yes, yes, of course I do. Um, that would be amazing. And nothing was said for a few days. And I went, is that Kelsey thing? Is that, uh, is that still happening? Because I've been to like see his show being recorded. Like, like yeah. Was, no, I haven't been thinking about it. Just <laughs> Yeah. Because I'd even been to watch him record his, uh, record his sitcom, um, his new, the new one that he was doing. And my God, that took forever. Because you think of Kelsey Grammer as everything he says, you know, is just perfect and incredibly articulate and all that. Um, but he forgets his lines, you know, like 50 times and um, <laughs> has, to, has to sort of redo it constantly. And, and the lunch didn't happen. And it was because the night before he'd gone on like, I think Letterman or one of the big talk shows to plug this new sitcom, which had just started and it didn't do well. 
uh, in its sort of debut. And they'd already filmed nine of them. And I think they just took it off air and just threw the other eight away. You know, however many it was that they'd already filmed, paid for, rehearsed, you know, got all the actors in, got all the crew, got all the audiences, just never saw the light of day. Um, And, I mean, that's got to hurt. But then Kelsey Grammer just picks himself up and goes, right, what's next? Yeah. Well, bring back Frasier. Yes, please. Seems seems to be what they're doing, isn't it? I think that's the Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. Well, that's good. Maybe that was the thing. Okay, well, we tried him as another character. Nope, didn't work. So uh, Yeah, just bring, bring back Fraser. Get the doctor back. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, great. Wow, wow. What a what a wild and wonderful world you live in, Danny. Is, is every day sort of spectacular and fascinating and gosh, what crazy thing's going to happen to me today? Or, is, or are there some normal moments for you? I went to, uh, I tried to go to the bank uh, uh, yesterday and um, <laughs> I walked all the way there and uh, it was shut. Uh, and then I just walked home. That's, I'm here and that for was, that. I'm and that was yesterday. That. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, you, you especially in, in sort of lockdown times, you're looking for kind of uh, any form of any form of excitement whatsoever. So, uh, yeah, a bank being shut was a, a mild anecdote that I've now told nationally. <laughs> I've um, walked little, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, of course, no. Is that there's a lot of um, there's a lot of you know prep goes into projects that you, you hope will see the light of day. I mean, the thing is, you, you talk about all the things that have happened, but so many uh, things haven't happened uh, that people never hear about, that, you know, time uh, will have gone into, there'll be thoughts and jokes and ideas and concepts that are just stuck in a drawer, you know, because they didn't work out. So um, I think that there can be a sort of a misconception that you sit down and type something and it becomes this thing but that's the one that's the one that made it that's the fish that made it to shore um there's still loads swimming about or gasping on the beach <laughs> they might get a sitcom someday though those guys <laughs> yeah. you never know yeah maybe you, you never know you obviously that's... just need to do a lot more drugs to be charlie sheen and then you know you could allegedly yeah obviously. allegedly yeah. no i think i think i think you're past allegedly with it <laughs> <laughs> i went um uh, yeah i i once i when he was um going through his uh let's say resurgence um i went over to cover his um yeah, his tour he was doing a tour yeah. yeah and um and that was fascinating and what I found weird years later was I was going to these like stadiums, I suppose, um, in Dallas and wherever else it was. And uh, he was, he would come out and just ramble. There was no show. It was just a man rambling. And he would sort of talk about running for president and how he was the chosen one and how he had kind of tiger blood <laughs> And uh, and people were they adored him, but they adored him because he was successful. They didn't uh, like him because they got his message or thought he was cool. They they absolutely adored his money and his success. Uh-huh. And years later, watching a Trump rally, it was exactly the same people. Um, they they put everything into the fact that this guy who was just rambling, who was saying he was special who was being mean about people and saying he should be president. They didn't care about any of that. They just cared that he was rich and he was successful. Gosh, and and that was that. They all thought, this guy speaks for me. Um, and there was no difference at all that I could see between a Trump rally and a Charlie Sheen comedy show. 
Blimey. It's a mad world, isn't it? I mean, yeah. try not to think too much about it, but it is a bit frightening. Uh, <laughs> Daddy, we're going to talk about the book, which incidentally, my eldest is seven. So I read, I read it to him in two nights. Ah. So we, oh, cool. Yeah, it was really cool, actually. I, I was lucky enough to be sent the book with a week's reading time. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that's fine. That's, you know, I'll comfortably have it read before chatting to Danny. So that'll be cool. But my eldest, seven-year-old Harrison, he was just kind of, well, more please, Daddy. You know, and it, oh. so it was a two-night wonder. You know, we would have done it in one hit if I hadn't been utterly exhausted. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> yeah. he was up for it. He wanted to keep going and keep going. Oh, brilliant. And oh, was, that's great. It's very important to him that I tell you that he thinks it is very, very, and I can say as many varies as I like, good. <laughs> so, good. I'm pleased. Well, say hi to Harrison. I'm, I'm glad uh, I'm glad he liked it. Yeah, I, I read it to it. my uh, read it to my daughter, and, and um, it was... Uh, yeah, it was. It, we we went through it pretty quickly, but then I knew everything that was going to happen in it. So you know, no real surprises for me. <laughs> well, it's called the days. The day the screens went blank, and I mean, helpfully, it's a title that that rather reveals what's going to happen in the, in the book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it was one of those um, one of those ideas, like I was talking about earlier, where you you go, oh, imagine all the screens went blank. I mean, what what could that be? You know. Um, and and realizing, of course, it would be a story for for kids because, particularly in the last year, we've all become so much more reliant on our screens and um, whether that's for communication, you know, ringing up the grandparents or kids keeping in touch if they're lucky enough to have one with with um, with their pals, um, homeschooling, um, and just entertainment and the idea. And also, you know, in a sense, you know, babysitting as well, which has become a lot more useful when you need those moments when you're all, uh, you know, at home together. Um, and I, I had the idea, weirdly, before lockdown and before any of this, uh, these weird times happened. But as I was writing it, I realized that, that even though I was writing about this strange fantasy world where one big event has happened that has rocked all of society, I realized that actual society was weirder than anything I was writing in my book. And so I then had to write about all the screens going blank um, while letting some of this kind of this madness that we've been through seep in, mm. you know, not being able to leave your area or food shortages or conspiracy theories or any of these things that kind of have seeped in um, now happen to this little girl who realizes that the screens have gone blank and she can't contact her grandma and she doesn't know if her grandma is okay. And you can't just pick up your smartphone anymore and hit G for grandma because we are no longer in those days like when you and me grew up where you would re remember everybody's phone number. You'd That's have right. everyone's phone number in your head. Um, and so I wanted to sort of bring this little family together, put them on a mission to save grandma, but take away everything that has kind of developed in the last 30 years so that they would sort of bond with their parents as well because their parents could tell them about life growing up when you couldn't just press a button on your, you know, on your screen and watch whatever film you wanted. You'd have to go to a shop, uh, walk into the shop, ask them if they had the film you wanted, and if even one other person in your town was watching that film that weekend, you weren't allowed to watch it. That's there was right. one copy. It sounds mad. Yeah. And to, to a kid, you might as well say, you know, I'm in black and white from 1830 <laughs> because you sound, you sound mad, like this terrible old world. But for us, it was pure and open and you, used to get you had to do stuff. If you didn't rewind the tape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. With all these, like, you know, it'd be interesting to find out who was the last person 
in Britain who was fined for not rewinding their video. <laughs> um, but, but you know, these stories. And so the, this family, they set off on a mission to get to grandma, who's on the other side of the country, because uh, they can't phone her, email her, Skype her. And they, they haven't got GPS in the car anymore. And GPS for me was just like the greatest thing in the world because it yeah. meant finally I wouldn't have to use a map and I wouldn't get lost, in, you know, all the time. Um, they can't really, you know, they have to pay by cash everywhere. Um, they don't know how much petrol they've got. You know, the, all the screens in their car are, you know, powered by that. And, and so, yeah, it becomes a kind of a mix of our generation and the new generation and, and seeing what happens when we meet in the middle. It's a, it's a really lovely, it's a very rewarding read, actually. Of course it's funny, and of course it's engaging, as you'd expect. Respectfully, Danny, that's what you'd expect from Danny Wallace, right? You expect, <laughs> it, you expect it to be laugh-out-loud funny. You expect it to have a feel-good vibe to it. But actually, the, the sort of, the way it makes you think as well, I loved that it wasn't just phones and tablets you know I loved that the TVs mm. were down as well that you couldn't use anything in the car the sat nav and so on all of that was just brilliant I because I, initially from the from the looks of the, the artwork on the front yeah. cover and so on you think oh okay so they just they're going to live without their phones for a bit and you keep <laughs> thinking well that, that's going to come back online but I love that actually when they in, when they start on this journey actually no it's every screen every single screen that could do anything to help human beings is gone or entertain us or distract us or whatever. It's all gone. I loved it. Yeah. It's a very, oh, good. very I'm glad. engaging book. It's great fun. Well, I hope that, you know, kids, uh, I, I think it will give parents as well an opportunity to talk to kids at this weird time where the world is a lot more worrying and concerning um, than, than it's been. And it's so early in their lives that this has happened. And how do you talk to them about it? And I think that this is a way of having some of those conversations about lockdown and about the pandemic, um, but without talking about a scary disease, um, by talking instead about, you know, another huge change that they can relate to, which is what would I do without my tablet? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And actually kindness permeates the book as well. And mm. being a decent human being is, is a really important message that, that, that you seep into it. My eldest wanted me to tell you, it was important yeah. for him, um, <laughs> that, that his very favourite scene, although he had to think long and hard about his very favourite scene because he loved so many of it, but he did say the cow in the caravan was particularly <laughs> brilliantly funny. Good, I'm pleased. Um, it's um, Have you ever seen the film Clockwise, the John Cleese film? Yes. Yeah. I wanted it to have a, a, a slight sense of that. So a guy, you know, everything's going wrong for him. Um, he's got to he's got to get to this place to deliver a speech. He's got his mission, and it's just it's just how he gets there. And I, I wanted it to have that kind of disastrous road trip kind of vibe, um, but for kids. And um, yeah, and and stick a cow in a caravan because why not? Yeah, because why not? Exactly. Oh no, it's great. It's so much fun, Danny. I knew this was going to happen. I knew that an hour is a is a precious amount of time in of anyone's company. But I knew <laughs> that we'd only really get to scratch the tip of the iceberg with you because you have done so much. I mean, I could list off the gazillion other things I'd love to chat to you about, but we haven't got time. So what's the point? <laughs> but you're a busy man. So I guess I have to say, Danny, what's next? What's the what's the next mountain that you're going to summit? Well, uh, there's something I'd always wanted to do, and so I used this opportunity to try and to try and do it. So there's something coming um, soon, um, and I don't know how much I can really say about it, but it's it's like things I've done before, but it's nothing like anything I've done before, and it's a kind of club that you can join, and and I want people to, and I think it'll be I think it'll be fun, but 
apart from that, that's that's really that's a mystery tease. Oh, that's mean. Um, no, tell us all about it. Is it. Mean. Give us the exclusive. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what's what's it going to be called? <laughs> well, if you come, I'll tell you what. As soon as it's ready, um, uh, I'll give you a shout, and then uh, I'd love to talk to you about it um, again. All but right. if you know, but people can you know, on my website, dannywallace.com, there is a mailing list, and if anyone wants to know first, um, they can sign up to that, and I'll 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 send you an email. That's very special. Oh, that's you see, you've left it on a cliffhanger, Danny. That feels really mean. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but you know it's to be continued. You're supposed it's, to just um, you're you supposed know. to end with some life advice or some or some some nugget that we could just go, yeah, okay, great. But no, you've it's you've taken us to the suspense level. You're like, I have, I have, so, and you're going to have to take that. And just like my advice earlier, you're just going to have to go, okay, what's next? Yeah. Well, can we can we then can we then do a Marvel Avengers and have an after credits then? You know, let's the credits are now rolling. So, come on, what's the extra scene, Danny? What, what what's it going to be? Who's who's it going to be? <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, my lips are sealed. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were open for an hour, and I really appreciate it, Danny. What a pleasure! It's been such a joy. It's I really, really, genuinely loved our chat. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Um, it's lovely to speak to you, Andy. Cheers. The Andy J Podcast. My huge thanks to Danny Wallace. I thought he was great, great company. Now, look, before you go, I've got to tell you about one of my major guests that we have booked for next week, because it's a biggie. It's Liam Neeson. Yeah, as in Taken, as in Zeus from Clash of the Titans, as in the Hollywood legend, Liam Neeson. Oh, yes, he will be on the show on the Andy J podcast next week. I am really excited. I can't wait for you to hear it. Liam Neeson on the show, not the whole guest, not the whole show. We, we couldn't get an hour with him, but we've got some time with him. We've got a couple of other really, really cool guests, actually, for next week as well, which I'm really looking forward to you hearing. But Liam is, you know, wow, Liam Neeson. So I just wanted to let you know that's what we can look forward to next week. And I hope you'll join us then. Whatever you're up to, have a really great week. Enjoy yourselves. Be kind. There's a lot to learn from Danny's messaging. You know, he exudes kindness and goes out of his way to do good things and try and make a difference in the world in the, in the most positive of ways. And I sincerely hope that you, the people listening to this, are one of us, one of those people. Let's give out goodness rather than uh, negativity. Have a good week. Make someone smile. Stay happy. We'll catch you on the flip side. If you're enjoying the Andy J podcast, we'd love a review. In fact, if you're enjoying the show, why not tell your friends? Podcasts live and die on, well, often word of mouth, so please tell your friends. Like, subscribe, review, and share. Thank you. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.